Geek Nerdery. Player one, press start to play. entertainment system when you master rob the video robot and meet the challenge of gyromite when you shoot the light sensing zapper when you play the system with the most arcade hits you're playing with power the nintendo entertainment system now you're playing with power Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode number 31 of Graveyard Duck Podcast. With you, as always, my name is Scott. And I'm Wes. And uh, Wes, uh, welcome back to the show. Uh, Happy to be here doing uh, another listener request. We haven't done one of these in a while, but um, Marcus Dixon reached out to us on Twitter and had... uh, had a request and asked if it wasn't too much trouble, which, you know, for our listeners, it's never too much trouble. Um, Asked us if we would be so inclined to cover deja vu for the nes and you know it seemed very appropriate because unbeknownst to him we were kind of in a little bit of a i guess in the middle of a playthrough of all of the other games in this series or a lot of them like you had just sold me your copy of uninvited i had just replayed shadowgate for first time in several years so having that text come out of the blue was just kind of like well you know this this is perfect let's let's hit deja vu while we're kind of on a streak so yeah perfect timing i'm always uh, glad to revisit this game yeah so we'll get into some of the history and how it's connected to those others if you're unfamiliar with any of them that might not make any sense to you but um the bulk of the show will definitely be about deja vu but uh probably talk about the subgenre that this belongs to a little bit along the way as well so uh so yeah let's get to deja vu itself this was released for the nes like we said in uh, japan first they got it in november of 88 here in the u.s we got it december of 90 and then europe had to wait a couple more years and they didn't get it until 92 so hmm. definitely pretty late for them and it's definitely a couple years gap there between the various releases so yeah uh, this game also had a couple other ports and releases prior to that uh, originally a Mac game for in 85, was released on MS-DOS in 87, and has gotten a couple re-releases more recently, Game Boy Color version in 1999, and apparently, I didn't know about these, but it's on PS4 and Xbox One as of 2017. So. Yes, uh, it, it kind of snuck out, um, it's called the 8-Bit Adventure Anthology, and on the uh, two current um, consoles, PS4 and Xbox One, it's a collection of all three games. So it's the NES versions of Shadowgate, Deja Vu, and Uninvited. Huh. And it's like seven bucks or something like that. It's super cheap. Oh, hell. Yeah, that's worth it. Yeah. Yeah, and until I saw the pictures that you were posting on social media of your Game Boy Color version, I didn't know that that existed either. Really? No. Okay. I, I knew that Shadowgate had been re-released under Game Boy Color. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah, that was the only one I was aware of. And when I saw those pictures, I Googled it. And did I see that it also included Deja Vu 2? It does. Huh, that's really neat. Yeah, it's one of the only uh, ports of it that you can get. Cool. That's awesome. So, yeah. Yeah, so this game's been around for a long time and made its way to a lot of different systems. Odds are that you have come across it at some point, even if you haven't necessarily played it. I think it's a pretty well known cover, uh, at least the NES version is. Mm-hmm. So something you're probably aware of. I remember seeing this just everywhere when I was a kid renting games. It was <clears throat> a very common title. So It was. And I can also remember it being a very uh, affordable title as well, because I know a lot of places around this time, I remember seeing this game for uh, like $19, 
fourteen dollars. In some places, like I don't know, like KB Toys and stuff, this was they had certain games that were nine ninety nine, and I remember Deja Vu being like one of those. So odds are, um, a lot of people probably played it because it was cheap. Yeah, yeah, sure. But I mean, given the price of games back then, it's no surprise, really. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, even today, it goes for about nine bucks loose. So it's and even like complete in box. I mean, it's like twenty or 20 yeah so yeah, brand kind of brand funny. new 43 bucks right now you could have a yeah. shrink wrapped copy of deja vu for less than it was priced back in uh 1989 that's what i was gonna say if you adjust for inflation you know you could buy a brand new copy now for less than back then it's just kind of yeah <laughs> so um all right well why don't you kick off with uh, your nostalgia stories tell us when you first discovered this game how what you remember playing it as a kid get us started yeah, I definitely do remember playing this as a kid. Like I said, um, I I rented it quite a bit um, after Shadowgate was obviously the first one that came out for us here in, in the U.S. on the NES. But uh, Deja Vu, a couple of years later, I remember uh, seeing it like in magazines and stuff like that. I was like, oh, this looks really cool because I like Shadowgate a lot. It's kind of the same thing. But it was, you know, a hard-boiled detective story. And that wasn't something that I was used to seeing on the NES at the time. Um, you know, we just, we didn't get a lot of adventure games outside of um, like what PCs and stuff got. So for the NES to get them, it was, I always liked the genre and I still enjoy the genre. So I was intrigued by it at first. And like I said, um, I rented it and later on I picked it up super cheap. I'm pretty sure I bought it at KB Toys for 10 bucks. Hmm. Yeah, this was one that uh, I'm going to have to fully admit, like I have not played it until about a week ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I was very aware of it. I saw it many times on the rental shelf, like I said, probably saw it in the KB dump bin, but it just never really appealed to me all that much. Mm-hmm. Um, any of these Mac Venture games, I did not experience when I was a kid. The first one that I ever played was Shadowgate, and that was the Game Boy Color version that I picked up, I think, when I was in high school oh. and started playing that, and that was a lot of fun but never really made an effort to go back to the other two. And that kind of crime noir, hard-boiled detective genre has never really been my thing. Mm -hmm. So I think that kind of kept me away from the game a little bit. Mm. And even though I really enjoy this style of game, it was just one that I never took the initiative to go seek out. Mm. And I kind of regret that I didn't, because now having played through all three, I would definitely say that this is the best of the three mm-hmm. um just in terms of kind of the the mechanics of how it works being the same but like there's i mean we'll, we'll kind of get into it but i i just think that the, the overall solid is sort of it's a very solid experience and better than the other two um so i'm kind of sad that i didn't experience this a little bit younger and also that had i found it kind of on my own i would have been able to play it at a much more casual explorate exploration pace whereas with this i was definitely in a hurry to just kind of get through it so that i could discuss it for the show okay um but yeah so i a game i was very aware of nintendo power covered you know the living crap out of this game because Mm -hmm. counselor's corner and classified information you know it was almost every issue i felt like deja vu had something because everybody got stuck and wanted to know what do I do in this room? What do I do with this item? So, Oh yeah, it was, yeah. It was the perfect game to keep you to continue subscribing to Nintendo power. I yeah, mean, definitely. You know, in a pre-internet age, um, you know, it was a hard sell to convince your parents to continue to uh, subscribe to this magazine. To right. Figure out this game. Um, so yeah, it got lots of coverage there. So I was very aware of the game. It just wasn't something that I ever really sought out. I um, I and mention something real quick because you mentioned at the beginning that um, the the hard boiled sort of detective type story was not quite your thing. And I was kind of more intrigued, I guess, because it's not something like I said we don't we didn't see a lot of this genre um, at the time. And it kind of reminds me later on of a late NES release called Nightshade, where you were kind of this dark man esque character with a, a hat and a trench coat but it was more of a side scroller it was it was an adventure game where you had to like solve puzzles and fight crime stuff like that so i don't know i i always thought it was cool to see these kind of games that sort of stepped out of the you know the the typical tropes a little bit of you know ninjas and robots and whatnot so right right 
yeah, and even like you know, Shadowgate appealed to me because I was always a big fan of the kind of medieval fantasy, and you know that fell right in line there. And then mm-hmm. more recently, Uninvited worked really well for me because I'm a big horror fan. Yeah, but um, yeah, you're right. This isn't something that you saw a lot of, other than maybe like you know Dick Tracy or something. But like, right, right. Yeah, I mean this this is a genre and a um, a period piece that's more at home on PCs especially at the time, because there was such a difference between PC gaming and console gaming. Um, you know, obviously PC gaming was for uh, more mature um, kids and adults and stuff like that. And the NES was a little bit more for kids and stuff. So to kind of see these, um, you know, bridge the gap a little bit, I'm I'm always intrigued by that kind of stuff. So Right. All right. So let's take a quick step back and just talk about kind of what the game is. So for any listeners who are completely unaware of this, you can kind of get a grasp of the genre and how it works. Uh, This is a, I mean, it's basically a text-based adventure game. Mm -hmm. Uh, If if you listened to our um, Princess Tomato and the Salad Kingdom episode, it's a very similar type game. Although I think this is kind of a step up in terms of more adult. It's, it's a little bit less kid friendly. Mm -hmm. Um, more challenging, definitely. Yeah, but the gameplay, though, I mean, as far as um, being able to look at items, pick them up, examine them, um, kind of figure out the puzzles in sort of a logical way. Right. So yeah, you start off basically in a room, and your your game screen, you just have the upper left corner is kind of what your character is seeing, per, first person perspective. Then to the right, you've got a list of all the different items that you picked up, which throughout the game, you're going to get just an insane amount of inventory. Mm. And then there's some text description below that of what you're looking at or, you know, your your command items or options, which you can, Mm. you know, do a whole series of things. Examine, speak, hit, close, open, take, leave, use. So it's really kind of one of those kleptomania games where you're going around you're in a room, you can interact with almost everything you can see mm-hmm. and a matter of figuring out which of those items I'm supposed to pick up, which item am I supposed to use, you know, that I already picked up is going to help me in this room and just, just kind of progress the story as you go. And this one has a little extra twist of the, the story itself is you wake up in basically a bathroom and have no memory of who you are what you're doing there and your first step is to pick up a trench coat that's hanging on the bathroom door wall and which is where i always get my trench coats absolutely that's my my favorite favorite trench coat came from a bathroom um clean out the pockets and find some items there and walk outside and now you're in a bar and it's like where do you go from here and you kind of are slowly piecing together this story not only of who you are, but also you are very clearly entrenched in um, some sort of a murder, some sort of a cover-up conspiracy, and it's just trying to figure out kind of like what all is going on. And if you do your job right, you will actually survive and in the end solve the mystery and regain your memories. So there's a lot at stake, and it's a really fun game, and it's got a good story. And uh, I think one of the things that I love about this genre of game is that e- even if you were to sit there with, you know, say a walkthrough, or if you were a, a bystander watching somebody else play this, it's very fun. Like it's, it's almost like you're just part of a movie. So it's, it's not even the, the gameplay itself that I find the most enjoyable about these types of games. It's just watching this story kind of unravel. Yeah, you're exactly right. And that's, something that uh, draws me to these types of adventure games too, because, you know, it's something that if I'm sitting down here playing uh, that, you know, if Shannon's hanging out down here, then she can play too, you know, like I can control it and she's, you know, suggesting things and kind of getting into the story. And uh, we're, you know, we're both kind of playing it, even though I'm kind of controlling it. And that's one of the fun things about this genre is uh, being able to, you know, sit down with a couple of people and, and just kind of figure it out. Right. Yeah. And this one adventure book in a way. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Definitely. You know, and the nice thing about deja vu compared to uninvited or Shadowgate is that there's, there's not a time limit in this one. mm -hmm. Uh, Shadowgate, you know, you had the torches that if you're every torch that you had, I think lasts for 10 minutes. And when it goes out, if you don't have another one lit, you die. Um, 
So there's plenty of torches in the game to get through, but you do kind of have to ration and be quick about what you're doing so that you don't ultimately run out. Uh, Uninvited, I think there's one item that if you pick that up, it kind of puts a death clock on you that until you throw that item away, you're, you're on a time limit. But if there's something like that in this game, I didn't find it. So the nice thing is no time limit at all. Yeah. So you can really kind of just take your time, go explore, you know, find all of the different, um, you know, rooms, find all the different secret passages and, and really kind of piece together this mystery at your own pace. And it's much more rewarding to be able to do that because then when you do make that little bit of progress or find that next key or that next clue, it's incredibly rewarding and satisfying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, the other thing that's kind of um, a staple of the genre is there's a ton of red herrings. Mm-hmm. So, um, like you were saying, there's a ton of items to pick up. Uh, probably like 75% of them are not necessary at all. But that's part of the adventure is picking things up, figuring out how things work and you know how the puzzles work and uh, you know using certain combinations of items and, and trying different things. Like you said, when it clicks and you 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 get whatever you're looking for, whether it be to open a safe or to, um, you know, enter a, a house that's locked. Uh, it just, some of the solutions are a little strange, but I think they're still pretty logical on the whole. Uh, but it does feel good when you like make progress in this game. Well, and that's one of the reasons, you know, kind of at the beginning, I said that this is, in my opinion, the best of the three. The reason behind that is actually twofold. And it's, you know, I, I said this on uh, one of our social medias, a while back, I think when I was given a review of Uninvited. And I, I said that, you know, these kind of games can make mistakes and there are certain sins that they can be guilty of. And two of the biggest ones are having too many useless items, mm-hmm. which can become very frustrating, especially when it turns into I walk into a room and I'm just going to try to use every item on everything in this room until I finally find the solution. And when you have too many items, that's just too much and it can become incredibly frustrating. And, but I will uh, say on the other side of the coin, I think from a design perspective, if you have too few items to interact with, it's not quite as uh, engaging. Right. And, And that was the problem that, princess tomato had was basically the only items you could pick up were the ones you needed right. and every chapter they would take the ones that are you know completely useless at that point and get rid of them for you right so and, and that was a mistake like they needed more stuff that you had to tr- kind of find and you know yeah give give you some red herrings sure but um, keep in mind like princess tomato came out on pc 88 like in 84 five or so so i mean it was one of the first um sort of adventure games so by the well, time it came out it was much you know much more regressive i guess than what we are we had at the time well deja vu was 85 for the mac true yeah different so, designers though. i would argue too though i mean um i don't know well i mean the, the point that i'm trying to make is that there's a fine balance sure, sure. and i th- i think deja vu hit it mm. i think that you know, uninvited Shadowgate went a little bit too far the other way. Not, yeah. uh, not not Shadowgate so much, but uninvited definitely had too many red herring items. Uninvited, ninety percent of them are useless. Right, and I think Deja Vu had the right amount. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing that I think that this game did really well compared to the other Mac Venture games is kind of like you said, the solutions. You know, being a little bit esoteric or off the mm-hmm. wall. Yeah, that's why I felt uninvited. I felt some of those solutions were just way out of left field. Uninvited is ridiculous. When you have to throw a spider at a ghost to get him to leave a room, right. like that's absurd. Right. Um, deja vu, I felt very, very satisfied that I didn't feel like there was any solution that was just off the wall ridiculous. Like it, it all made sense for mm-hmm. the tone and the theme of the game. Sure. I, I would argue there's one step that, that's needed at the end. Um, before you before you finish the game, there's one step that's a little hard to to figure out. Talk about their, your side trip to the sewer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I'll give you it that. Makes sense. It makes sense if you think about it. I guess it just the game doesn't ever really tell you that you know that could be a possibility. No, but like it, luckily, it would just be a mistake you make once and then mm-hmm. realize like oh that's what I forgot to do and then 
right you know you're good um but yeah i thought that all of the solutions were very fair i thought that it made sense i thought that it was logical uh, other than maybe this guy uses his fists to solve a lot of problems well yeah <laughs> that's what this genre was all about i mean if you watched you know humphrey bogart movies or you read you know dashiell hammett or you know anything like that i mean that's that's why this genre is great you know it, it just cracked me up like I'm talking wisecracking private detectives that you know get farther with their fists than with their notebook there are so many situations where the solution is to punch somebody and i'm just like uh, yeah <laughs> really like yeah. i mean no spoiler but you walk to a house and you've got to get in and the the butler shows up at the door and he's like, I'm sorry, I can't let you in. The master's asleep. So, all right, you punch him and knock him out and go in the house. <laughs> but tell me that's not like, I mean, it's such a good example of immersion and role-playing though, because at that point, like, you know, you're, you're into this game and you're like, well, I could just hit this guy. And it turns out like, that's the solution. Yeah. You know, and it's, it's the same with, if you're walking around on, uh, on the street, occasionally um, a mugger might approach you or uh, maybe a woman draws a gun on you. So, you know, you have the option to, uh, to let your fist do the talking. Yeah. And it's very effective. <laughs> this, this game taught me that violence apparently does solve everything. Well, you know, I mean, that's just, that's what people did in the forties. You know, it's funny though, to you with my fist. It's funny though, that they allowed you to, like punch everything but when you look at the regional differences between japan and international like the international is so dumbed down oh, um yeah i've got a couple screenshot comparisons here but like the japanese uh title screen versus the international version uh, on the international he's got like the the gun and the three coins sitting mm -hmm. in the like the spotlight mm -hmm. in the japanese version instead of the coins it's a glass of scotch um okay. there's two scenes where the um i can't think of the guy's name but the the guy who slumped over the desk dead mm -hmm. in the office in the japanese version he's the desk is covered with blood nice and also the alligator if you shoot the alligator in the japanese version he's covered in this bright red blood after you kill him oh. um so yeah it's funny that like they were like no 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 we can't have all that violence but if you want to go ahead and punch a hooker go for it <laughs> oh yeah yep <laughs> i mean it's just that it, it, it's kind of goes along with the genre though I mean, it works I, it does and it's like every one of those scenes i i could i could imagine this being a movie and it's like mm -hmm. yep that's how that would play out <laughs> yeah. or what about uh you know when you find a, the note in the car and it says there's a 400 pound woman in the trunk right you're like what yeah and you don't immediately go save her <laughs> i know <laughs> Actually, it's the funny thing is it's possible to get through the entire game without ever uh, saving her. Really? Yeah. 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 I was watching a, a speed run of the NES version a while back here, and uh, uh, somebody had it down to about thirteen minutes. Thirteen minutes, forty-four seconds to beat the whole game. Hmm. Yeah, great. I mean, most most of these games in this series are actually pretty short. I think they are. Yeah. I, I get I can get through Shadowgate. That's the one I know the most, and, and it's about a fifteen minute playthrough for me. Like because mm -hmm. I know exactly where to go and what to do and what to grab and what not to. And yeah, um, or I'm, no, I'm sorry, not fifteen. Yeah, that's it, the the benefit of multiple playthroughs too, though. Right. I yeah. think it's about thirty minutes because there's okay. ten minutes per torch, and mm -hmm. my third torch is just about to die when I yeah. usually finish it. Yeah, so. that makes sense. Yeah, because I remember thinking, you know, playing these games as a kid, I thought you know once you solved it then it's like okay there's not much reason to go back because you kind of know all the answers but in a way um maybe it's just more of a modern conceit now that speedrunning is a much more popular thing but um it kind of made me go back and rethink it it's like you know really if you got the steps down to run through an adventure game in a way it it's kind of like the nes version of just reading like a pulp novel you know what I mean? Like just pulling like an old, an old pulp off the shelf and reading through, let's say a uh, Maltese Falcon or something like that, a Raymond Chandler or whatever. And in a way it kind of feels like that. And for me, like revisiting this game after so many years, then it's kind of like going back to an old book that you used to enjoy. Yeah. It's, I, I fall somewhere in the middle. I think that these games are fun to replay and there is some replay value there. 
but for me personally, there has to be a pretty long time frame between playthroughs, uh, unless I'm trying to just hone in and really get the speed run down. Yeah, like let, let's see. How- you totally could with this game. Yeah, uh, definitely. And that's why I feel like if you really wanted to um, extend the life of this game, you know, something you could do is is do it really old school and take notes as you play. You know, right. note, notate what each of the items do, and then work out your pattern of you know what the the best optimization of a, a speed run would be, and do it. I don't know. I yeah. think it's really fun. But yeah, and, and that part of it would be fun. But in terms of just sitting down to like replay the story, like I would probably have to wait a few years to want to do it again, just because you know when I walk into the pharmacist, I know which pills to grab and which ones to ignore, and. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Things like that. So I I do find that the the replay value is a little bit eh, not quite there. But yeah. um, well, it's again it's the adventure game genre, so it's it, you're not always going to want to immediately replay them. But I feel like this is short enough that you know you could really work out a pretty good plan and go right. pretty quickly. Right. Um, okay. So you said you had done some other investigative research. So that like like you're a detective. I know, right? Yeah, yeah I had my. Uh, you know, I had my um, my hat and my trench coat on, and you know, I was just chain smoking up here. And no, not really. um, no, I just I wanted to talk just a little bit about um, just the Mac Venture games and sort of the history of them, where they came from, and talk a little bit about just a couple of the different versions of of, Sha- or of uh, Deja Vu that I played. It's interesting though because um, we got, like we said, we got Shadowgate first, and then Deja Vu and Uninvited. But like I said, Deja Vu was the actual the first game of the series, so. On the Macintosh at the time, then Deja Vu came out first, followed by Uninvited, followed by Shadowgate, followed by Deja Vu 2. And I think it's kind of interesting that Deja Vu 2 was only really released here on the Game Boy Color, and that was, like, 98, I think, when the part came out. So, like, 10 years after the game was already made. 99. 99, okay, yeah. So, unless you were a pretty big PC player at the time, which, I mean, I dabbled in PC games here and there, but I wouldn't have played... Deja Vu 2 until much later. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I just, I feel like they're kind of, um, they just, they read like pulps. You know, they're just fun to pick up and run through. But um, playing the Game Boy Color one this week, um, it's kind of interesting to, to see how that translation was different, like how the, um, the localization was and the graphics are totally different. I was posting some stuff on, uh, Instagram and uh, a few of our other social media channels, um, just some of the funny stuff that I found in the game. And, uh, you know, some of the localization stuff is kind of funny because, you know, when you start taking the pills and you remember who you were and you remember your pet dog, Taco. Yeah. And that's the same in the NES and the Game Boy one. So apparently that was uh, that was left alone, uh, which is really funny. And then on the Game Boy Color one, I took a picture of it. I uploaded it because it was just the funniest shit to me. But um, there's a note that you read when you're trying to piece the mystery together. You read a note and it says how somebody was um, was blackmailing Alderman Tom Wopat. I was like, oh, my God, that's hilarious. Like, just for some reason, I don't know the person that localized the Game Boy Color one. I don't know if they were Dukes of Hazard fan or, or what. But, um, you know, Tom Wopat, if you uh, are not familiar with the Dukes of Hazard, was Luke Duke. And then also later on. You know, was the spokesperson for Motel 6. And then most recently, uh, last year I read, he was arrested for um, apparently uh, drunkenly grabbing uh, a woman's butt uh, repeatedly. And then (laughs) when they arrested him, and this is no joke, when they arrested him, they found a shitload of cocaine in his car. And I kid you not, what he said was, well, sometimes I buy it in large quantities and just use it over time. Like, that's the worst excuse ever <laughs> like you know like the cops would be like well that's fine you know i mean if you're going to use it over time as long as you don't use it all at once you know no. but yeah anyway so then i, I buy in bulk because it's cheaper <laughs> yeah exactly like what are you like buying your your cocaine at costco i don't know <laughs> so yeah i don't know it's just it's just funny that like i don't know the way that this game was written just kind of tongue-in-cheek it was just um it was really funny to me but uh not really, I don't know, I, I struggled with this one too, but I was I was thinking that it's not really a remake, I guess, but more of a, a port, I guess, if you think about it, like how the differences between the NES version and the Game Boy version and even the Macintosh version, 
I don't know. What's your opinion? Would you consider them to be remakes or just completely different versions of the game? Um, you know, I don't, I don't know fully. Like the the Game Boy Color one is very different. Just the the controls, the mechanics, all of it, like, are very yeah. It's simplified, obviously, for the the screen real estate and everything else. But right, and yeah, there was more like icons that you could hit rather than the words. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And even like Shadowgate, you know, when it went to Shadowgate Classics, it, it streamlined some stuff, but I don't think it was near as much as what Deja Vu did. Right. So that one feels more not necessarily remake, but just like update, mm-hmm. especially considering they did kind of change some of the text in that. Uh, going from the Mac version, which I haven't played, but I've looked at lots of screenshots. Like, I don't think that was really all that different. Um, it, it essentially, you know, other than being just a different uh, hardware, mm. but the but the mechanics and the the guts of it were all the same. So, yeah, I I, I wouldn't necessarily call that remake. Just kind of different yeah. ports. I was just thinking about it because now it's such a big thing now where, you know, games get remade and, you know, the such and such remake is coming out and uh, you know, this is the here comes the remastered version of, you know, Dark Souls or whatever. And I just got to thinking about it how, you know, now we make such a big deal out of this, but really, you know, back then it was just they were just ports, I guess. And right. this could be said like there's a difference maybe between a port and a remake, but um, I feel like in in these cases with these games that they were kind of a little bit of both in a way. Yeah, and I mean, like we just you're right, we didn't see it the same way back then because obviously we didn't have tons and tons of consoles that right. would allow for that sort of thing. But it's just like every now and then it'd be like, oh, this game that I liked for this system is also available over on this one. Like it mm-hmm. didn't mean that it was a different or an update necessarily, but it might be changed slightly. Yeah, like Super yeah. Mario All-Stars, you know, we didn't look at that as a remake necessarily. It was just the 16-bit version. I'd say that's kind of a remake. I, I, I'd say so now. I just don't, at the time, I wouldn't have used the word remake. I would have just mm-hmm. used it as an update, you know, yeah. but... I don't know. Maybe it's just me looking back on it now. I don't know. Yeah, and it, it, it's it's easy to do that too if the, you know, using modern terms to talk about... Mm-hmm you know, old things that, yeah, we just never would have even considered that right at the time. But um, yeah, yeah, it, there's definitely some changes just to accommodate different hardware. You know, like mm-hmm. you said, the yeah. going to a Game yeah. Boy where you have a much smaller screen, you know, mm-hmm. less real estate, like it's kind of have to scrunch it all in there a little bit different. Yeah, I didn't have a problem with it, actually. Um, I found it pretty enjoyable to play through that one. Um, the other nice thing with that is uh, you can save anywhere. Um, so you can just save pretty much any time. So um, really good version to pick up and play. Um, I did not know that it was actually as rare as it is because I bought it a few years ago at our uh, uh, local Mega Replay. And I think I paid like $7.99 for it, uh, card only. But I guess it's um, usually in the neighborhood of like 30 to $50, at least what eBay sellers are asking for. So maybe that's not quite indicative of the price, but. As of today, the cart only price or value is twenty five bucks. Okay. CIB so. copy would be about fifty five. So okay. it's... I mean, that's what I'm thinking of. So I don't know. Again, though, I mean, Game Boy Color wasn't on the market that long anyway. A couple of years, so um, I can see that this is a, having been like a late release, probably a little bit harder to come by. But... Yeah, and it, up until you started posting pictures, like I said, I didn't even know that existed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like I said, it's the only. One of the only ways to get part two, um, right? As well, so, right. Cool. But yeah, what did the what did part two originally come out? That was only that was a PC, PC, right? Yeah. yeah. A starting uh, Lost in Las Vegas, right? Asia. Yeah. It just sounds like it should be like a Leisure Suit Larry sequel. Oh, totally. Yeah. <laughs> Passionate Patty in pursuit of pulsating pictorials. <laughs> oh yeah, I I played the shit out of Leisure Suit Larry games back in the uh, day. When are, when are we going to cover that franchise? <laughs> Yeah, I know, right? There's supposed to be a new version coming out eventually at some point. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> yeah. But it's, I mean, that's a series that um, tonally shifted quite a bit from, you know, the first three games, which, oh, were, yeah. You know, much, much more adult themed. And then you got to like part four where it became sort of cartoony and, you know, lampooning it. But, you know, the first game, it was not uncommon to die from an STD because you didn't put a condom on before you slept with the prostitute. Right. You know, and these are games that I played in like, you know, junior high and high school like after school yeah i know. didn't play leisure suit larry until 
several years later, but I was a yeah. big Sierra fan. So I was well familiar mm -hmm. with the, with the model. And finally one day it was like, like, you know, all of those Sierra discs always came with demos of the other franchises. So yeah. I played yeah. the demos of police quest and space quest. And oh, yeah. then, yeah, you suit Larry. And it's like, all right, I've got to try this. And I think I found, you know, on good old games or something. The first one, it's like, holy shit. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I can remember playing them in high school, like just, you know, with, with friends and stuff and just after school. And it was like, like, oh, man, I've got, you know, this Leisure Suit Larry that, you know, somebody made a copy of. And I've got a copy on this disc, you know, it's played in the library, but make sure we get one of the computers way at the back so nobody can see what we're doing kind of thing. It yeah, it made me feel like Phantasmagoria was like a Disney movie compared to it. Right? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, and that's again, that's why I, I like this genre so much, I guess, because I've been playing it for so long. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, again, the hard boiled detective part, not so much my favorite, but mm. the, just the adventure game, the text based, you know, I, I love that. I've, you know, playing the King's quest type style forever. I love that, uh, steal everything and then try to figure out where this item works and how to solve the puzzles. And, you know, I, I, I like, you know, going back to what I said about how these games can kind of commit these sins. The other one that I think, it, it, some of these games can be pretty guilty of is not having enough um, alternate solutions mm -hmm. because I think that especially if you're going to have really esoteric options or solutions to these puzzles, you at least have to give the player multiple ways to accomplish something so mm -hmm. that if they don't think of your one specific ridiculous solution, there's still other ways that you can accomplish things. And I felt like this did a pretty good job of not being so tunneled and so you know one track that you know you you could kind of get around things like you said you don't even have to save the girl in the trunk right. um so i think that you know the the order with which you go to the different addresses um you you're always kind of free to come back to the bar you can you know the, the, the one thing that i noticed at first was you can you know not get enough money and then not have enough cab fare, but you always have the option to go back and get more cash. And so there's, there's ways around it. There's alt multiple solutions. And I think that that's good. Like you've, you've got to give the, the player the option to kind of make it through the game their own way. Otherwise, if they don't think that, that think of that one really exact way to get through something, it just frustrates them and they end up quitting. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's the million dollar question when you're making a game like this. Um, Speaking of the cab fare piece, um, I stumbled across something on the Game Boy Color one this week, and I haven't tried it on the NES one, but I need to see if it, if it works. But um, you were talking about running out of cab fare, and that's uh, that's one of the ways you can get a game over in Deja Vu is if you take a cab somewhere and you don't pay and you just get out, you're just automatically arrested and thrown in jail. But um, I found that uh, there's two different cabs when you're exploring the street. Um, there's a blue cab and there's a yellow cab and the blue cab is driven by like a sort of a neurotic man that's, you know, kind of agitated. And then the yellow one is driven by um, a much more laid back kind of happy go lucky driver. And there's a couple of different spots in the game where you can get a $20 bill. And I found that if I took the yellow cab somewhere and then I would stop at my destination and say, Oh, that's 75 cents. And if I use the $20 bill, on the uh, part where you put the money in, he would say that he didn't have enough change. He didn't have change, but it's your lucky day and you can ride for free. And it ended up then every time I tried that, it worked. So huh. I could travel around the game trying to pay with my $20 bill and getting a free ride each time. No kidding. Yeah. So I never tried that before. So I'm going to try that on the uh, NES when I just didn't have time and, you know, try it before the show. But yeah, I only found one $20 bill in the game and never actually used it. But I did, you know, hear somewhere that that's one of the ways to get the, the bum to go away or not, not the bum, the mugger. Like if, right. the, if the mugger comes and harasses you, you can, you can get away with punching him like three times, but then like the fourth time you got to give him the 20 bucks. Right. Um, you can also use the $20 bill to purchase the Luger from the gun store. Um, if you, for some reason, if you don't have the revolver, hmm. well, just an option. Yeah. And I mean, that's exactly what I was saying. There's so many variations mm -hmm. and different ways to go about things. There's two yeah. different guns in the game. You can buy, you know, I, I think the only thing you need is if you, if you take the gun that you find in the bathroom 
um, you can get through the whole game with only buying two extra bullets for it. But yeah. they sell six bullets plus a second gun and six bullets for it. So there's obviously some wiggle room here mm-hmm. and ways to kind of play around with it. But um, yeah, you know, to have whole items that are very useful, but also completely optional. Like mm-hmm. in, in some of the other Mac Venture games, those um, kind of red herring optional items not only are not necessary, but they don't even do anything. Like you could be carrying around this, I don't know, file folder that has absolutely zero purpose other than fill up your inventory. And that's kind of the the trick of this game too, though, is you need to find the right combination of evidence to prove your innocence. Right. Anything could be, I mean, when you're first playing, I mean, yeah, any certain amount of things could be what you need. So you don't really know. Yeah. And there are some little ways to kind of game the system. Like, when you you know go to an area that you have the option to finally throw things away like all of these games have that room somewhere mm-hmm. and you can kind of just try to throw a bunch of stuff away and if there's something you need it's gonna say yeah i should probably keep a hold of that and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um but otherwise like if it lets you throw it away it's probably because it's not needed um yeah so and you don't have to be too afraid when you play these of like getting yourself screwed because there's a save function in it, but even if you don't save regularly, anytime you die, it'll restart you basically just one screen back from where you died. Right. Yeah. So I will say in Deja Vu, there's a ton of ways to get killed, especially in the beginning of the game. Yeah. Um, just kind of depending. If you're wandering around on the streets, like you said, the mugger tends to show up randomly. Um, there's one screen, I think it's to the right of the police station that um, you just apparently walk into a manhole and, uh, you know, just die instantly. So mm-hmm. um, apparently the city of Chicago in 1941 is a city that's um, brought with muggers that are shooting people on site um, and there's manholes to fall into, you know, left and right. So um, apparently their version of Chicago is exactly what, you know, uh, somebody's crazy brother-in-law would say, you know, oh, don't go to Chicago because people are getting, you know, shot on every street corner and they're falling into manholes, you know, which is not entirely true. So. Is that like the open drums of radioactive waste that used to be in New York in the 80s? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, we saw those on, you know, Police Academy movies and, you know, we just thought, wow, you know, that's, uh, that's, a, that's a rough place. Don't forget Jason Takes Manhattan. That's true. Or the Warriors. I mean, you oh, know. the Warriors. Yeah. They're, how much did New York invest in fog machines in the 80s? Oh, a ton. A ton. <laughs> See, you had to have the fog machines to cover up all the. Um, the triple X theaters on 42nd street. Right. (laughs) It's all connected. Uh, No, you're exactly right though. There's like, there's that, that sort of uh, late seventies, early eighties stigma of the big city being like, you know, nothing but the purge, you know, in real life kind of thing. And it's kind of funny. Like that was always sort of the, the narrative, I guess, but maybe that's because, you know, we, we grew up in, the rural Midwest, I guess. I don't know. But to an extent, that's why this genre works because it it allows for a character like Ace who, I mean, if he was just in Lincoln, Nebraska, it'd be like, well, who the hell cares? Why do we need a private eye to go investigate, you know, podunk nothing? Like, I don't know, but I'm interested. I would play this game. I I mean, I probably would too. I'll be honest. Um, but I mean, when you have just get murdered on every screen, yeah, <laughs> something just completely random out of no nowhere. <laughs> All of a sudden, mobsters show up out of the cornfield and shoot you to death. <laughs> Ace Harding, meth detective. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but no, when you when you think about that, you know, very false version of a Chicago or an LA or New York, like that's perfect for this type of. Yeah, hard-boiled detective, private eye character who's exactly. you know, from the streets, knows the streets, is out solving crimes. I mean, to be perfectly honest, like this whole story about okay, he gets framed for murder and drugged, and his memory is wiped. Like this shit doesn't happen. Like at least not commonly <laughs> enough that you you know see it that often. But yeah, when and you I'll, think- I'll even set the scene for you. Every movie that took place in the big city, like in the eighties. I guarantee you that the theme, the musical theme of that city was a saxophone blaring somewhere. Oh, yeah. 
you know yeah. and if you think about it like every time like you saw like images of like new york and it was like you know just okay here's new york and there's a saxophone playing and like here's new york and there's gang members running and, like the saxophone music gets really crazy and wild it's just i don't know maybe i just associate the sound of a saxophone uh, you know a crime ridden city of the 80s yeah who knows i don't know now i want to go watch the movies right please so. academy one two three four <laughs> uh, so this is a good lead in to something else you said you wanted to talk about we talk about you know hard-boiled cops detectives and other genres mm-hmm. that that was your lead in it was it was but i i was still thinking of the grimy like saxophone era new york <laughs> my- do, do i need to splice in some saxophone music for this episode i mean if you want to throw some in you know post-production that's fine we're just fine <laughs> I was just thinking, like, that would be a cool setting for, like, a next-gen game. Like, you know, you could have, like, I don't know, just exploring the city, and there's, like, you know, dynamic saxophone music playing. I don't know. Never mind. Be, you know, a, a hard-boiled detective in, like, a nighttime Chicago sandbox game. Yeah, yeah. Could be, could be hella fun. And you carry around a saxophone, so you could just, like, press X to play saxophone, and, like, you would just, you know... And that could actually be the way that you could make money because like people would donate money to you and then you could use that to see that it writes itself. I mean, I'm I surprised that Sam and Max didn't do like a saxophone riff somewhere, you know, make fun of that. But they covered everything else in the genre so perfectly. But I'm surprised that Sam and Max hasn't had a big comeback. They tried. There was a Wii game. Yeah, I know. Uh, it just didn't quite try again. Like adventure games are, are still hot. I mean, there's still plenty of them that are coming out left and right on mostly indies but uh, if you look at like the pc and the uh the switch for instance there's a ton of these style games out there i would play the hell out of a new salmon max game right that's what i'm saying you know we got remakes of full throttle and um a couple other lucas arts games grim fandango stuff like that so it just has to be old school style though because the modern versions of it just don't quite work because they did that with king's quest too there was a new king's quest for uh 360 i think not that long ago and it just didn't work no not the same but like i've talked about before in the show um thimbleweed park is one that really gets the old school maniac mansion feel because um you can play it exactly like the original ones hmm. that one's that one's highly recommended but it's got some really out there puzzles so uh, so yeah but i did want to actually transition to um some similar games i made a small list of um other games in this genre um, that i'd recommend if people like deja vu and if they uh or if they're intrigued and want to check out some more similar games go for it so um some of these are a mixture of um uh, classic systems and modern and a couple of them actually have been uh fan translated into english now uh, which is really cool so like i said i'm a big fan of the genre so i tend to try to seek out adventure games i haven't played before um one of the ones i played on the super nes this is a a Japanese version, but it's been recently fan translated to English. But um, there's one called Famicom Tente Club Part Two, which is Famicom Detective Club, and those originally came out in Japan on the Famicom Disk System, and then they got remade for the Super NES over there. But you can play Part Two without having played the first one. It's a separate standalone story. But basically, it's um, you're a young detective, and you're um, investigating a uh, a ghost story at a local high school. And then you're also um, investigating a, a murder that's getting close to its legal expiration date. So um, kind of similar in uh, gameplay and story-wise, it, it has a lot of uh, you know logical type puzzles to figure out, which is cool. Uh, if you want to go a little bit older, there's uh, one of the the biggest sort of um, influencers, I guess, in this genre was a game made by Yuji Horii of Dragon Quest fame. Before he made Dragon Quest, he made uh, Portopia Serial Murder Case, and that was sort of one of the big adventure games on the Famicom. It's been fan translated as well. Uh, graphically, it's not very; it doesn't hold up very well. But if you're into those kind of games, again, the story's really good. Uh, if we jump forward, there's a series that localized over here on the DS and the 3DS. There's a series called Jake Hunter, which is actually um, a localized version of another Japanese detective game called Tante Jinguji Saburo. So that's like Detective Saburo. And there's like 10 or 11 games in that series. But we have only gotten, I think, one of them here. 
And there's another one coming out on 3DS later this year, I believe. But anyway, um, you can pick up the first one on DS for probably 10, 15 bucks. But there's two different versions of it because they re-released it uh, a couple years later with a new translation and extra cases and stuff like that. So that one's really good. Um, I played one on the Famicom, another fan translation, and this has got one of the most bizarre titles of any game ever. And it's um, it translates to Jesus, Dreadful Biomonster. So, right on. Uh, yeah, and you're, uh, you're on this uh, space station called Jesus, and it's just uh, abbreviated uh, J period, E period, S period, U period, S period. But there's no... There's no real reason for that. It's just they probably just thought it sounded cool. But uh, in that game, you're actually um, you're trapped on the space station with a uh, um, a demonic alien from Haley's Comet. So um, kind of interesting because you have to uh, you know kind of solve the puzzles and things like that. But then there's also this alien that you have to um, to shoot and kill before it kills you, kind of thing. So uh, that one's cool. And then of course on the the DS as well. Um, the Phoenix Wright series is very similar. Um, Hotel Dusk is actually pretty close. It's a detective story. Yeah, you're and, a pretty big fan of the Phoenix Wright games, aren't you? Oh, yeah. Yeah, especially the first three, especially, they're all really well written because um, they just have the cases always are interesting and the way that some of the stories come around. It's There's a lot of aha moments. There's some weird connections sometimes, but uh, those are a lot of fun. And then finally, um, another one I'd recommend, this is, more of a combination of an adventure game and a visual novel. But um, there's a series called Zero Escape, which is, uh, the first game is called Nine Persons, Nine Doors, Nine Hours. And I've then, heard of that one. Yeah. And the second one is Virtue's Last Reward. And the third one is uh, Zero Time Dilemma. But the first one is excellent. Um, it, I've played it multiple times because there's like 10 endings to it. So um, it's worth checking out as well. Uh, very good, too. It's got a lot of weird things where it tries to tie the story together multiple ways, but it gets a little bit more far-fetched as far as like a science fiction setting, but still pretty good. So anyway, those are my recommendations. But like I said, I'm, I'm a big fan of the genre, so I, I tend to follow it quite a bit as far as, um, you know, which, which ones are coming out. And what's yeah, that's point. very so, cool. Yeah. All righty. Well, um, I think we're coming up pretty much on the end of our discussion here, but um, all in all, what would you say? Is this going to be a recommend from you? Yeah, absolutely. I definitely recommend it. But like I said, I'm I'm a fan of the series, so I kind of know what I'm getting into as well. But even if you're if you're just kind of dipping your toe in the genre a little bit to see what it's like, I would definitely recommend Deja Vu as, as a starting point. Yeah, I, I would agree. I think that if you've if you've played any of the other Mac Venture games, you know, the Shadowgate or Uninvited, um, or any other kind of like the the text based adventure games like this then and you have not played deja vu it's it's definitely a recommend i think that of all of those games so far this has been the best of them um Mm. and if you have not played any of those and are interested you know regardless of whether this genre sounds like your kind of thing i still say check this out uh it's you know the the, the most solid playthrough of all of them it's the least frustrating i think and also Mm. it's the most rewarding when you actually accomplish the goal um, I feel like there's a more defined endpoint other than just, oh, I got out of the house or oh, I killed the thing. Right. Like it's you're you're working towards something, even though at first you have no idea what that is that you're working toward. And having the whole thing kind of piece out is just a very satisfying game. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, yeah, I, I would recommend this one above all of the others. Just I, th- I think that it's the most solid playthrough and mm-hmm. rewarding experience. So. Yeah, definitely absolutely. worth checking out. It's dirt cheap, so you can find mm-hmm. the cartridge just about anywhere. You can find the Game Boy Color version if you want that. And as we learned, it's on Xbox One and PS4 now as well for almost nothing. And you get some other great games to go along with it. So yeah, exactly. And uh, that's the um, the other thing I was going to kind of tie into a little bit was um, I got kind of another recommendation here. Um, this is from uh, our friends at the Chromecast which um, if you're not listening to them, you really should. It's, they're very interesting. They're a Robert E. Howard um, podcast that's focused on a lot of his um, short stories and novels and stuff like that. But anyway, um, I reached out to them because I, I like their show a lot. And um, Josh from the uh, Chromecast actually recommended a couple of stories that Robert E. Howard wrote that were kind of um, 
I was asking him a little bit. I said, did, um, you know, did Howard write any um, detective stories? I know he wrote some boxing stories as well um, with a character known as uh, Sailor Steve. But um, he actually wrote back. He says, yeah, um, Howard wrote a few detective stories, not many related to the rest of his creative output. They're casting because um, they're not really in the vein of Dashiell Hammett or some of the other big pulp writers at the time. They had some weird stuff thrown in, too. Um, he recommended a short story called Graveyard Rats, uh, which features two-fisted detective Steve Harrison, who would rather punch the case into submission than spend time mulling over clues, <laughs> uh, which is fun. It's I read that one. Um, it's Both are actually, you can read them, Project Gutenberg, they're, um, you can find them online. Um, the other one that he uh, recommended was a Conan story, which was The God and the Bowl. And it's a Hyborian Age police procedural, as only Howard could have written. And I read this one this morning, actually. It was really good. It was, uh, it's just a, it's an early Conan story, um, you know, where he's still young. He's a thief kind of thing. And he um, is basically caught. There's a um, sort of a, a, a dignitary that that's just died mysteriously um, in this locked up house. And the uh, night watchman finds the dead body and he finds Conan in the same room. And so then it becomes sort of this procedural, like, oh, I know you did it. And he's like, no, I didn't. There's other things at play. And it was cool. Um, both really quick reads. Um, but again, just kind of in that in that same genre a little bit with some weird, weird stuff thrown in, too. So, um, like I said, I would recommend checking those out. And if you're a fan of that kind of uh, the pulps and, and Robert E. Howard and stuff like that, check out the Chromecast because it's a lot of fun. They spotlight a lot of a lot of stories and they get into detail on um, a lot of things in Robert E. Howard's uh, career, which is cool. Yeah, check our show notes. I'll post a link to their feed there so you can go over and check them out. But um, all right. Yeah, good recommendations all around. Lots of good talk about different games and books. And hopefully through all of this, there's something that we've intrigued you with and made you want to go check out. So I think we got some good stuff. And as we said, both recommend from each of us. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think that uh, pretty much wraps up our Deja Vu talk. But we've got another Graveyard Duck challenge to bring up as well. We do. Uh, why don't you take the lead on this one? This was kind of your idea. Sure. So we decided to go with another high score challenge, uh, kind of a one credit score attack. And this time we're going to be covering the NES version of Bubble Bobble. Um, real fun game if you've never played it. Very simple based on an old arcade. And um, yeah, we're doing the NES port. Very straightforward. Just basically one credit. You get three lives. And uh, what's the highest score that you can you can get? And um, it should be a pretty quick playthrough. So you can try many, many, many times to get your score up there. But um, yeah, post, post your score with a, a screenshot of it on any of our social media outlets. Just be sure to use the hashtag Graveyard Duck Challenge to get registered. And um, yeah, we'll go for about a week. So next Friday, the 22nd, uh, sometime in that morning, we'll cut it off and announce the top five best scores for Bubble Bobble. Mm-hmm. That is if the uh, the music doesn't drive you nuts beforehand. <laughs> I have had that song stuck in my head for 20-some years. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you just say bubble bobble to me, and it's like a dog whistle. Like, I just hear that that music in the back of my head, and all of a sudden I <laughs> you know, just end up on the streets of Russia somewhere with a trench coat and a cigarette in my mouth with, you know, like a folder under my arm with secret documents, and I have no idea why. Yeah, it it doesn't help that all 114, however many levels, have the exact same song. <laughs> right? It's like playing Splunker. You know, you hear the uh, the the main Splunker music quite a bit too. Wonder Boy. Yeah, I, I think I that's mean, even now worse. Now we, can, now we would call those podcast games because you know you could listen to another podcast while you're playing it. Like you could listen to Graveyard Duck if you wanted to. Certainly good. Uh, you know, back in the day. You know, you had your, uh, I guess they were more like Walkman games, I guess, you know, (laughs) throw in a cassette of, you know, some Oingo Boingo or some Devo and just, you know, grind out some bubble bobble. So sounds like a good time to me. Yeah, you could still do that today. You know, I was going to say, I I think I've got a weekend plan now. Oh, yeah. Just throw in Dead Man's Party and bubble bobble and you got yourself a party. 
All right. So uh, we got another good episode coming up in two weeks. So um, hopefully you're enjoying what you're doing, what we've been doing. Uh, if you like the show and want to give us some support, head over to iTunes and give us a review. They're very, very helpful and help us kind of move up the rankings and let even more people know about us. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're also present all over the internets. Wes, why don't you tell people where they can find us? Well, of course, we've got our Facebook group um, where we've got a lot of stuff going on there. Um, you can find that at Graveyard Duck Podcast. Um, we're on Twitter as well uh, at Duck Graveyard. And uh, we're also on Instagram at Graveyard Duck Podcast. Um, we've got a Discord channel as well. So uh, lots of different avenues to to interact. So, um, yep. And they're all slightly different. So yeah, check them all out. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's fun. I mean, we just we like talking about old games and we like sharing some of the fun stuff you know like oh look at this you know check this out and that's kind of what our uh social media presence is sort of like so um just just a fun look back at some of the games that we love absolutely all right well i think that's been a good episode so you know where to find us now so uh until next time when we come back with an even better episode i'm scott and i'm wes and just remember don't be dazzled by the dames kid They could be deadly. Game over.